Greetings Mead Sachs, it is I, your friend the internet. It has been a minute how have you been? I have been, fine. I just wanted to stop in and remind you that the podcast you are about to listen to, Checks Notes, Discologist, is part of the Osiris Podcast Network. Osiris helps create deeper connections for music fans, by creating and curating music and culture podcasts and experiences. To check out all of their great shows like Dead to Me, Broke Down Pod, and more, use me to connect with OsirisPod.com. P.S. I see by your search history that you love hacky sacks and something called Ultimate Frisbee so I guess I should also remind you that Osiris works in partnership with Jambase, which connects music fans with the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Go to Jambase.com to find out more. Now. Here is your podcast. Enjoy it while you can. Ha. 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 Okay. It comes here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Merely a two-word review, just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the last minute. That right there is a lot of Welcome back, fellow music lovers. You are now tuned in to yet another exciting adventure with us here on Discologist. Coming to you live from Tiny Shack in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm your host, Kevin. We are so happy to have you here yet again as we speed on towards the end of 2019 at the end of this decade. You know, we haven't in a long time done an episode like this where we talk about an album that is uh, yeah, well, it's 30 years old. You know, a classic album, a legendary album. Uh, this one might not be so much legendary an album as it is a legendary song. The Chris Isaac's Heart Shaped World, which had the song uh, Wicked Game. You know it. You love it. Uh, you internalize it. You're going you're to hear a lot about, about it here coming up in just a second. But um, we wanted to do this because Wes uh, Covey was a fan and started like digging back into uh, Mr. Isaac's work and finding that there is a lot of stuff in there uh, to love. And that's actually what a lot of we well, we spend a lot of our time doing here is so often we put stuff that is older on a shelf and, and we look at it sort of with an ironic eye and don't think to consider the anthropological truths that it will reveal if you if you just pull it off and listen to it and you can dig in just the production value, what they were writing about, what they were wearing, what they look like. Everything is tied up in that piece of music, piece of art, whatever you want to do. And uh, and so that's what we uh, do with Heart Shaped World. This is a fun chat. We uh, a whole lot of talk about hunk core and hashtag dreamy, but uh, we're going to get to that in just a second um, right now. I'm going to get you acclimated to a song. Honestly, I bet you never heard this because I bet most of you have never traveled beyond Wicked Game. So here is the title track and the first song off of Chris Isaac's Heart Shaped World. It's called Heart Shaped World. Trouble. Girl, to 
Welcome back. This is your idea. Um, that is Heart Shaped World, the title track off of, was it 1989? Chris Isaac album. And if you told me that that was a Candlebox song right before he started singing, <laughs> I was like, oh shit, we're going to get some angst going right oh, now. Uh, it cannot be. And this is something <laughs> we're going to talk about a lot when we're talking about this album and this artist uh, because uh, Chris Isaac, let's just get this out of the way, is too hunky. Oh man, he's an he's an entire genre of hunk core. Hashtag upon, dream. <laughs> hashtag dreamy, right, right. But you wanted to talk about this because it's what thirty years old now. It yeah. is. Um, I think honestly, when we get to stuff like this, it's just almost the guy has had like this massive career that is mostly Christmas Christmas albums now, which is fine. Uh, and he acting. plays with this, yeah, and acting. He plays plays with the same band, the Silvertones. Uh, and and that's awesome. That like if you you basically come up with your group, you keep your group. Think mm-hmm. like Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band stuff mm-hmm. like that. But if we had thought that the main single off here, this is the, just the definition of a one hit wonder, right? Who worked really hard. So I want to talk about like the nature of that, the nature of like hunks in music, the nature <laughs> of of our appearance and everything, and how music can somehow find a way to persist. And this also has a lot to do with just simply what the market was at that time. Yeah. In 1989, like it is, you've got a lot of, you're just coming out of the eighties. They're over the synth shit for the most part. They're ready for some weird fucking rock and roll. And you're still like three years out from Nirvana. Right. That explodes. And uh, here comes this guy who has been like for a good part of the eighties, just in the background, just doing shit. And uh, it comes out with the title. We're not going to say it yet, but this this motherfucker of a song. And, you know all, and all of a sudden, he's the biggest thing there. And then you yeah. realize, like, oh, there there's still, like, hunky dudes in rock and roll. Right. <laughs> it's an important thing. It's, it, we need that. I don't know why, but we need that. Well, let's talk about that before we get really get into this. <laughs> like, why, you know, if, if somebody, like, Chris Isaac, is not who does not look like Chris Isaac. There is first of all, there's no way anything in this album gets made, much less like persists. Yeah. Like it just doesn't get made. But but you, you when we think about stars and stuff, why we always, always, always 
there's some level of attractiveness that we assign to them. Yeah. And if there's not, then, then we try to find a way uh, to uh, virtuosify their talent, even yeah. if it's not virtuosified. Uh, the, the one exception to all this is fucking Bob Dylan. <laughs> Although I guess he was considered pretty sexy back in the day. I don't know. If yeah, you look at him though, com- comparatively, you're just like, yeah. whoa, what is yeah. this weird looking dude? But there. he actually had the talent to come up and, and do this. But, you know, he's Chris Isaac is, is in the tradition of <laughs> Roy Orbison. Uh, Elvis, if he had been alive, would have sued him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> this is just like taking these classic showbiz tropes and doing something exactly the same with it. And he got the notice uh, to to this point. David Lynch, he became his guy. Yeah. Like yeah. David Lynch was like, "You want to be in my films? I'm putting your music in my films. This is great. Like this works out." He was in Twin Peaks. He was right. like, <laughs> "So what? What about this? Why do we reward the hunk and <laughs> and not just the art? Because he's fucking dreamy, man." <laughs> 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 like, that's it that's it period just cut the episode this is well so the other thing that <laughs> the other thing okay. that, that has to be acknowledged with this though because you know as you're talking about that as you're talking about the attractiveness yeah so, so two things on that one of them is that that part only came in um, I mean, you know, you know, the, the classic statement is video killed the radio star. Yep. You did not need to be exceptionally good looking to be a star for a long period. You know, you look back at the earlier periods of music. Um, let's take Ms. Ma Rainey. You know, one of the first real stars of traveling American music. You look in photographs of Ma Rainey, and I say this with some love, that was not an attractive woman. Um, She would not have become a star at a different time period because of the way that she looked. Um, And have you seen Jeff Jeff Lynn lately? (laughs) Not lately. No, no. I mean, he shows up in my door sometimes, but I try to pull the curtains because it's uh, yeah, no. Um, But I mean, it is an interesting thing, and obviously that pressure tends to be more put on women. yeah. In our society, you know, women are definitely more judged for the way they look and all of that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Like, Chris Isaac is is absolutely not without talent. I mean, he's got an incredible voice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Orbison, I think, is, is you know, you said Elvis is the one that would sue him. Like, the, the, the two of them, Orbison and Elvis together probably would have sued him. Like, because it really is, it's tied in with that tradition. But I do think that it's interesting that he is doing something that sounds a little bit different. And it is that time period. It's the end of the 80s, early 90s. Um Reason, yeah. So we can talk a little bit more about that sound um, as well. But the video for that song that we haven't mentioned yet mm-hmm. is extremely crucial with this. I mean, I think the video came out a year or two later. I think it was like ninety or ninety-one or something like that. The video came out, but you've got this sandy beach with this <laughs> hunky hashtag dreamy pop boy, yeah. and I think it was like Helena Christensen or something. Yes, the, like, supermodel yeah, in there, exactly. Um, yeah. And uh, and listeners, just so you know, if you go on to ChunkyGlasses.com, um, Kevin and I have actually recreated that video with the two of us um, in <laughs> yep. those positions. We're still trying to find yep. sand. Um, yep. So you can, you can go watch that should you want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's up there. That's up there it's now. Up there. True, true facts. Not alternative facts, folks. Exactly. Um, you know, yeah, it's it's uh, uh, let's just get this out of the way. <laughs> this song that we're talking about, Wicked Game. You've heard it. You love it. Uh, you might have made a baby to it. I don't. I. I, I don't know. But you certainly tried. You certainly tried. And and it is. 
the video, it, many consider, I think, at the time, softcore porn. So I remember a, a very clear um, time when when I was, you know, 11 or 12, and that video was out, and it came on, you know, MTV or VH1 or whatever it was, and I was sitting there watching it, and my older brother um, and a friend of his came into the room, and I remember them kind of, you know, laughing and mocking and like, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> younger brother is starting to discover some things and all this. <laughs> and it was interesting because, of course, at the time, you know, I'm 11 or 12, and I just got, like, you know, busted watching this sexy video, and I'm going, like, no, yeah. I love this song, which is the funny thing. <laughs> I love love that song. I've started so, covering it um, recently. You know, that's where this whole thing comes from. I heard it on yes. the radio again when I was at work recently, and I was just like, "Man, that is such a great song." I wonder. I've never really listened to him, and so I went and listened. I was like, "All right, Kevin, we got to talk about this." All right, let's do this. Here's here's Chris Isaac, uh, King of Hunks, Wicked. song if you, if you look up the history of it uh the producer who worked on it is quoted as saying it took two years to make wow i didn't see that. this is this is that actually makes a lot of sense so this confuses my whole thesis of this that is all just people are basic and that people like you put the shiny thing or in this case the hunky dude hanging out doing a thing that like thousands of other people can do but like thousands of other people aren't going to spend two years on a song no no it is it is as airtight as anything uh, that has ever been like written is considered a classic, then that's mm -hmm. the reason it's a classic. Yeah, there's there's no part of this you can take apart and look at it and be like, oh, this, the tone could have no. been better. That no. no, no, it it's is. Perfect. Yeah, it's a it's a perfect track. It's also, I mean, obviously by far the standout track on this album. There, I have found that there's a bunch of other tracks <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's, and again, like that's where this whole thing came from. I was listening to that song. Yeah. And I'm like, what if the rest of his catalog is as good as this, and we just haven't heard it? You know, um, and I will say, like, I was.
was really pleasantly surprised. Like, I enjoy this album a lot more than I thought I was going to. I've listened to one or two of his other ones, and it's actually, like, it's pretty good stuff, you know? I, I like it. It's not, you know, world-changing um, music, so, but it's good, and there's a bunch of other tracks I really like, but none of we'll, it is on the level of that one. We'll get into that in a little bit, but I, but I want to I stay on this topic of how long it took and how airtight a song and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you think that artists uh, deserve isn't the right word, but do uh, you think that justifies a lifelong career by just doing this once yeah that's a really interesting conversation and it's like well, we're having it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> listeners you're listening to a really interesting conversation um it, it's something that i go back and forth on a lot does one song regardless of how much effort is put into it really justify mm-hmm. that I don't know. I mean, I do tend to be on the side of one spectacular album, I think, does okay. to a certain extent. You know, if you can create a piece of art um, or let's say, you know, one spectacular painting, one incredible photograph, like there right. are those things that are good enough to represent something um, that it's- does, as far as I'm concerned, mean that somebody should be viewed as a remarkable artist because of creating that one thing. Um, is that because you're art sensitive? I mean, I, I, I am I'm sure. on both sides of this. Like, I, I feel yeah. that, too. I, I feel like people uh, rarely understand the, what goes into creating something, mm-hmm. even something as basic as this podcast. They, they, you, you don't yeah. you don't un, it, it, it takes it takes a toll. It takes giving of yourself to do something. Yeah. And the higher up the art chain you go, uh, the more that takes. So on that side of things, I'm like. Yes, if you if you are as a human being can get to that potential, to realize that potential in yourself, then you deserve to be rewarded for that. The other side of that, though, that I also see is that often people get to that point and then don't work that hard. Yeah. After. Yeah. And, and not working that hard is they just don't. Maybe they don't have anything else in the tank. And that's well, that's okay. a question, right? Did did they purposefully decide? You know, did he come into the studio with what? How many how many tracks are on this album? Um, eleven. Eleven. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So did he come in with his eleven songs and say, "Okay, guys, let's make this record. I've got eleven songs here," and then saying, "Like, oh, hey, let's really put a lot of work into this one." Um, did they listen to the rest of them and say, "You know what, Chris? Like, there's nothing else on here that's worth putting that much time in." Like. Whoa. I'd be curious, you know, what really is that? Were they just like, okay, hang on, like, you've really got something on this one song? Or at the same time, like, was it not until partway through the recording process? Like, did they get, like, a particular guitar line or a particular guitar tone or, you know, start to kind of put together this atmosphere of that song? Because let's be honest, like, that's the most remarkable thing of that song is the general atmosphere. I think that's what attracted David Lynch um, to him, that and the dreaminess. Um, but that, like those are those are what pulls in um, the appeal. It is the atmosphere. There's nothing else quite in that kind of haunting noir country folk rock thing that does that as effectively. So were they kind of just partway through it and then like you know what we've got something that could be really special here. Let's really do this one right. I think and, and this is a question to anybody who made this album. I want to play a little bit of this song. Here's here's a little bit of in the heat of the jungle. Thank you. 
don't stop I watch TV to midnight I do just what I please I love you, I love you So, so people who made Heart Shaped Plum, did you hear that song and think, fuck, that's good. That's good. Because look, it's not. It is, it is, uh, filler is not, it's competent and stuff. And I, and I think what I, this is what I think happened with, with him because there, that, this, look, that's the worst moment on this album. Yeah. Um, and it makes me laugh every time I hear it. Yeah. I don't know if it's trying to be Bo Diddley or like tough or or whatever, but you can't be tough without being sensitive, and he proves that on Wicked Game. So, <laughs> so there, there's you know there, there's none of that. But 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 uh, in the Silvertones and in his career, I think you know you, early '90s or mid '90s, you saw a big explosion of rockabilly. Part of it was due to him, but I think this mm-hmm. is an undercurrent, especially out in Los Angeles. Uh, I, you know, people just looking back to the past, looking back to the fifties, yeah. specifically, and seeing that. And the neat trick about a lot of that and a lot of his music is that the fifties were clean, but mm-hmm. they still said they were still songs about like fucking. Yes, there's a lot <laughs> and, of raunchy in there. <laughs> right, right, but they yeah. but they weren't they weren't necessarily raunchy. They weren't sweaty. Right. Yeah. So there's songs yeah. about fucking, but they were just like all like very sterile and yeah. And uh, and and his work and the work that a lot of artists back then we're doing that we're sort of reviving this and wearing the pompadour putting mm-hmm. on the uniform uh we're sweaty yeah. And, yeah and and that's and that's why wicked game succeeded and that's why uh heat of the jungle i think doesn't because he, he, i don't want that sweat anywhere near me <laughs> and like yeah that's just that's just you nasty dude <laughs> like that's that's basic as shit but but you know it's it, it's a display of masculinity i think that yeah uh, is and how... it was at that time period a really um there was a big refocusing on early rock and roll. Um, you know, I think, I mean, one album that definitely has to be credited with that is the soundtrack for American Graffiti. Um, I don't yeah. remember what year that movie came out. I feel like it was 86 or 7 or something. Oh, I mean, no, that was the 70s, dude. 1973. 73. Wow, that's you way You weren't earlier. born yet. I was one. Yeah, wow, okay. Yeah, so I was born in 79. So by the time I was kind of, you know, developing my own musical tastes um you know in the mid 80s and kind of figuring out stuff that i liked i mean american graffiti soundtrack is one of my first favorite albums um you know i I loved that stuff i loved buddy holly i loved um, you know a lot of that music um and i do think that at that time period there was a big focus on that kind of stuff still you know so that's definitely part of where he comes from um, but, you know, as you were mentioning earlier, that kind of like shift away from the 80s production into something new, but we hadn't quite hit into the 90s yet and all that. It's an interesting time period. Well, let's, let's run down some of these albums here because I, I, this is kind of hilarious here uh, where this is existing. And consider that this is a hit when this is happening. Pixies Doolittle. Mm-hmm. So that's not necessarily in the mainstream, but Paul's yeah. Boutique certainly was. Mm-hmm. The Cure disintegration yeah. at the same time yeah. that this is happening. The and cure. you know what? I will just interject for a moment here. Like there are some production similarities between dis- disintegration and this. I'm, I'm getting to that. I'm okay. getting to that. <laughs> yeah, because because you couldn't. There were there were just production similarities across the board for these yeah. albums. Yeah. Pretty Hate Machine, uh, Full Moon Fever was out there. Madonna yeah. is is coming back with Like a Prayer, which is a great album. Yes, yeah. pick that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cult Temple. Hmm. Someday I want to talk about the cult, but not today. Um, Steel Wheels. This is where you're talking about the production, the Rolling Stones. Great mm-hmm. songs, really whack production. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, Phil Collins' Round Two, but seriously, is out there. 
you had, uh, and this is this I think will drive it home. Don Henley's The End of Innocence. Oh man! And uh, I am guessing that you aren't a fan of that, but I am. I, I, yeah. I celebrate. I, don't I celebrate spend a lot of time Hanley. with Mr. Henley. I celebrate the songs basically because Bruce Hornsby wrote the hits. Okay, and yeah. and so that so that's great. But my point is, like these all had a unified sound. This this gets into a unified sound. And where people were like, if you think about Don Henley, there he's at a point where he's got that weird ponytail, and and people are like coming out of even bands like the Cult, are are almost look like the Misfits, you know this this hangover from from what the heyday of late seventies rock and roll, yeah. and then the Pixies are just like I'm in jeans and a shirt, whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> and who knows what the fuck Robert Smith's on, but yeah, but, you know that those images and and that iconography was changing at that time, and at the same time you also have more black artists up in there because yeah. really rock and roll was about being white, and and uh, it's not. It's not rock, um, but uh, Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. Hmm. Uh, Day Lost Soul, Three Feet High and yeah. Rising. Yeah. Um, and, and presenting these new, not just presenting these new ideas of how you could look and be successful, but uh, uh, but proving that success. Mm-hmm. You know, we think of those two albums, like especially the Day Lost Soul album, mm-hmm. that, 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 that is a, a monument. Where was Tribe Called Quest right then? Um, uh, I'm not sure. I know that was they early were. '90s, but I feel like it was a little bit later. Yeah, it, it was. Um, I think they they came. I mean, they were doing work, but yeah, they came right after that. But yeah, but yeah, the point is, is that it was shifting. So this is honestly kind of a last gasp mm-hmm. for this particular type of look. Mm-hmm. You know, just a few years later, Bleach actually came out that year. Yeah. So a few years later, like Nevermind hits, and yeah. everybody then changes Bronx, everything. And, and that's where um, Chris Isaac, I think, gets lost. Yeah, I think, and and he went into the acting thing uh, with David Lynch, and those his music is noirish enough that it's perfectly suited for mm-hmm. all of that. But there, there's work that hinted at that on this album, and I think this is one of your favorite songs. So let's play a little uh, blue Spanish sky because if well, we'll play it and come back. It's a big blue. At the time, wonder why she left me. It's a slow Spanish song. I knew the words, but I sang them wrong. The one I love. She's gone How the world has changed Watching a blue sky Begin a rain about us but if that mood can be sustained mm-hmm. over a couple albums 
I'm ride or die for that artist. Oh, I'm totally sold. Yep. Yep. I mean, that was that was the first, like, you know, as I said, this whole thing came from my hearing Wicked Game on the radio when I was at work this summer, um, you know, working at, <laughs> serving at a cocktail bar and like suddenly there's the song. I'm just like, oh God, I love this song so much. And then went and put on the album and like, and you said, you know, my first reaction was kind of like, you know, there's actually some stuff on here that I that I think is actually kind of interesting. And then when Blue Spanish Sky came on, um, especially being the track right after Wicked Game, I was kind of like, hang on, there might be more to this than I thought. Yeah. Um, and I will say that a couple of the other ones... Um, like Kings of the Highway, um, right before that, doesn't really work for me. Like it's not that it, I don't know. It, it, like it's almost too faded. Um, like you listen to it, and I kind of even enjoy it when it's on, and then it's over, and I don't remember that I just heard it. Um, and that's one of the fears of that kind of like you know faded sort of music. Um, but it works really effectively here too. Yeah, and you know, anytime you talk about this, like this, this actually was realized later on the, down the road by the, I guess the, not the originator of it, but certainly the master of it, uh, Willie Nelson's Teatro. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to hear something like that, and we've never done an episode on that album, partially mm-hmm. because I, I would rather people just listen to it. You you don't need to hear us talk about it, but uh, that kind of mood was, to my mind, almost like outlaw country. Yeah, yeah. And I'm always here for it. Period. Right. Like yeah. I, I just I, that that is is my soft spot. I'm I'm always going to be uh, ready for something like that. But you think about after this is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine more albums. <laughs> and in that time is in Silence of the Lambs, Firewalk with Me, Little Buddha, That Thing You Do, A Dirty Shame, and The Informers. Also on television. <laughs> and that list is longer than fuck. Um, I, I, I wonder if this, I guess the point I'm getting at, I wonder if Chris Isaac is, is one of the last of the sort of media stars. Yeah. And, and yeah. because, and then I wonder that because of, of how perfect Wicked Game is, but also how the material around it isn't, but it's competent. His band mm-hmm. is tighter than fuck. I mean, yeah. that is, yeah. the band, is, the Silver Times is tight, but yeah. but it also is very uh, local, if this makes sense. Like, it's something you would see at a bar down the, down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't feel like something that should have ever had mass appeal. Yeah, I mean, I guess like it, it is kind of right. You can you can picture you can listen to this album and and picture yourself just sitting in that bar down the road with the local band, and then they kick into this one tune, and you're kind of like, oh shit, like that's really good. And then they go back into the other ones, and they're like, oh yeah, all right, well, good band, like you know, because that is one of the interesting things. Like, let's be honest, there have been a lot of mediocre artists who have written or recorded one really great track. Um, it happens all the time, um, and I. I enjoyed and I'm, I am actually looking forward to digging a little bit more into his catalog out of you know sheer morbid curiosity um but i do think that there's some other really worthwhile tracks on here for me blue spanish sky is definitely mm-hmm. the other standout um but uh but i think you know there's there's more depth to this album than i expected there was going to be um <laughs> What that says, even about like what we project yeah. onto that hunky artist. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I mean, what do we? And, and and it gets down to like what what you want out of music, what you like, what mm-hmm. you. Um, and this is something we're. And this is this is why I want to talk about it because this is something we deal with in 2019. The hype machine is about so much that is not music. Mm-hmm. It's about a story around it, 
I don't know. The narratives have always existed, but now we're in overdrive where, uh, honestly, I think the quality of a lot of it is is failing, mm-hmm. and that we are left with nothing but uh, narratives for something to keep an industry going, which it absolutely needs to keep going. Oh, People yeah. need to have a place to get essentially funded mm-hmm. to make art. Not mm-hmm. everybody has to have that, but there. I mean, there the, the needs to be some component of our society that that this this is supported in, and so you so you have to keep that going. But as a as a uh, a critic and as an enjoyer of music and enthusiast, like it is disappointing to, to continually have diminishing returns that I could have never imagined. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and based on what somebody looks like, based on, and it's back to my question about the one song, based on they had one song, mm-hmm. uh, based on an album they made three albums ago, but the everything since then has been bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, stuff like that. And, and it, you can be gross and call it brand identity, but it is how we relate to the world. It's how we relate to music. And, 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 and there's no shame in it. And I don't think there's any getting over it, but I think it's it, it's high time we acknowledge it. Yeah. Uh, if you, to the initial point, if you just heard Wicked Game and never saw a picture of Chris Isaac, would it be a hit? I think it would with that song. I think if you take anything else from his catalog and would it, I don't know. But, I mean, that song, it, it's just, it's so tight. The production is perfect for it. It's if, such a good song. Hold on. If, if. It was Wicked Game, but Pete Davidson. <laughs> would it be a hit? Oh, man. Not as big as it would have been if saying? it was Candlebox. Huh? <laughs> right, right. Like, yeah, what I'm saying is is that this, all this stuff is like intentionally and importantly tied up in this in appearance. And, and, but it, it does uh, color how we see everything, yeah. how we take in all yeah. our media. Uh, and... Um, the conversation for me needs to shift more uh, a little bit away from that or at least acknowledge it. Yeah. There's, there's nothing. If, if you are looking at, I can't even think of it, mm-hmm. but if you are looking at somebody and be like, damn, they're attractive. And that is a reason why I like their art. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Right. That's cool. I mean, uh, yeah. honestly, you see some, some weird combo of that and then gross, ironic, like in, in Lizzo's career. Yeah, sure. But that's her, yep. that's her whole yep. point. Right, right. Is, is that you all have decided that, uh, quote unquote, big girls are not the ideal. Right. And not what is to be rewarded necessarily. That's what that yep. translates into in capitalist terms. And I'm going to show you that, A, you, you want this. You, you're you're going <laughs> to you want this. You don't know how badly you want this. You don't know how badly you want this. But I'm going to do it by making like art that is better than these other things that, that like – that you're simply basing it on yeah, uh, things that don't matter to it. And- yeah, and it is interesting because, I mean, definitely, like, we should not pretend in any ways. I mean, even if you're just if you're shifting it away from physical looks um, and shifting mm-hmm. into fashion and things like that, I mean, let's not try to pretend that we haven't wanted to check out a band because of the way they're dressed. Like, you know, see you, you see some of those promo photos and you're just kind of like, okay, I don't know who that is, but, like, I'm going to go check them out because they look cool, sure. you know? Um, I mean, and that would include some of my favorite artists. You know, when I first saw David Bowie, it's just kind of like, what is that? And what kind of music does it make? Because I want to check that out, you know, or like, I mean, you know, one of my probably my favorite band picture of all time is um, Ornette Coleman Quartet. Um, You know, the picture, uh, 
the cover photo for um, This Is Our Music. Um, and they just like, you know, I just joke all the time like, oh, you've got a cool band photo. Look at this. You know, like those guys just look so incredibly badass. And it, I see that picture. I'm just like, yes, I will listen to whatever they're playing. And that's interesting. Different I, from I was going to say, I was going to say with jazz, you don't have that problem because in, like, what are you like, <laughs> man, check out the blazer on that dude. Well, are you, but you're going to tell me that you're going to look at Miles Davis, a like photograph of Miles Davis in a smoky jazz club and not say that guy looks no, exceptionally cool and I want to hear him. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> no, no, that's accurate. I mean, there is exactly. definitely a mystique and all of that to those jazz suits, you know? Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think too, part of it is that we look to things that are relatable to us. Yeah. And, and we listen to things that are relatable to us and, and people don't do a lot of work. You, you don't have to do any work. Mm-hmm. To enjoy any song on this album, mm-hmm. and that's great. That's yeah. the definition of a pop yeah. album. Yeah. You work hard all week, and you just want to be like lifted up or yeah. entertained for a little while. Yeah. And this person is doing the heavy lifting, and that's why it should be rewarded. So maybe to, the answer, I'm answering my own question. Maybe yeah, you should be rewarded mm-hmm. for doing one one great piece of art. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. I'm certainly not going to object to getting rewarded for that, you know. Do I think that, you know, somebody should not have to work for the rest of their lives because they recorded one great song? Like, no, probably not, you know. Yeah. But, like, but do they deserve some sort of credit credit for creating one incredible work? Like, yeah, I think so. Okay. Because um, it's not as easy as you think. Like you said, you know, it's just a lot more goes into it than people think does. And, um, you know, writing a good song is one thing. Recording Doing a good recording um, is a different thing mm-hmm. when you pull all of those things together, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, like, and it's it's hard, like, without a doubt, his career largely exists because of the way he looks. That's true. But he can, like, he's got that voice. You he know, it's not voice. just his look. He's got those chops. He's got those chops. He's got that voice. He pulled that band together, um, you know. Some of these songs are great. Some of them not quite as good. Uh, but, but I do think that there's more to it than just hunkiness. Are you going to explore the rest of his catalog? I am going to explore at least some of the rest of his catalog. We'll see whether or not I. Uh, <laughs> do you want to start a do. new podcast just talking about Chris Isaac? We will do the the yeah yeah. Okay. I think you that's got to happen. For us. Um, any last words on on this? No. <laughs> <laughs> just hunky, hunky. Hashtag dreamy. That's all yeah. I got. Okay, cool. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break and come back, and uh, you go. I don't know. I'm going to go wash away some of this sand that's still uh... (laughs) (laughs) there. We'll be right back. Chris Isaac's Heart-Shaped World has been available everywhere you can buy fine records for the past three decades. If you don't have it yet, it's because you don't want it. That is how that works. Uh, thanks to Wes for hanging out. And thanks for the fun conversation. I love, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to do those type of things when we had a basement. And now that we're sort of operating over the internet, it's it's a lot harder to get that kind of interaction, uh, simpatico and whatnot. But it was, a, it was a fun talk, so we're going to be bringing you more of those. 
in the coming months. Uh, that is about it for this episode of Discologist. If you like what you heard, tell all your friends first and foremost. Tell them to subscribe. Smash that subscribe button. But also you can listen to us uh, everywhere. Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us on Google Play, Mixcloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. Every episode is available now on ChunkyGlasses.com because we are Chunky Glasses Production at Chunky Glasses everywhere on the socials. Also, you can go to OsirisPod.com and hear all these episodes plus all the episodes of Dead to Me and all the other great Osiris shows. Uh, it's been it's been fun this season partnering with them. So so uh, all that is up there for you to enjoy. Coming up later this week. We're going to be talking about the new Clipping album. Held back on this a little bit. It came out a couple weeks ago. It is, uh, I think, I'm just going to say my favorite album of 2019. It's certainly the most important album of 2019. And uh, you all need to hear it. Uh, It's also the hardest listen of 2019. So we're going to be talking about that. And then uh, Monster, the REM album, is 25. So we're going to be talking about that later on in the weeks to come. And then we're going to wrap it up. We're going to do a little year-end, uh, not necessarily best of year-end, but what we felt was uh, what what meant the most to us. And then uh, sort of close it down for the winter and then come back in the spring rejuvenate. So, so thank you for tuning in. We will be back in a few short days. Until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. Talk to you soon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Kenobi!